Welcome back to the STEM Blazers podcast. My name is Allie Helton. And I'm Vivan Vauvan. Today we have another amazing mother-daughter duo. Joining us is Anita and Jen Bell. Anita graduated from Georgia Tech with a chemical engineering degree. After graduation, she worked as a product developer with the Consumers Product Company. She has had a multitude of experience in a pilot plant research of chemicals, materials development, product development, process engineering, and quality control. After her STEM career, she used her background to tutor accelerated groups and remediation kids. She also creatively writes for fun and has a few unfinished novels and children books underway. Jen majored in mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech. She was a co-op at Gulfstream Aerospace for four rotations and did an internship with Ball Aerospace before getting a full-time job as an associate systems test engineer with Ball. She works on the machines and cables that are used to test space vehicles today. We are extremely excited to share with you their insight and journey. It is so great to be able to speak with you, Anita and Jen. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. To start off with, Anita, what inspired you to choose a major in chemical engineering? Was it something that you always wanted to do? It actually wasn't something I always wanted to do. I just, I I was a really good student. I liked everything. I liked reading. I liked writing. I liked math. I liked science. And honestly, I loved chemistry when I got to that in high school. And when it came time to choose a college and choose a major, it was it was between journalism and law and uh, and engineering. And my dad convinced me that there were too many lawyers in the world and that I could write for fun. And he he explained how, you know, there's almost always jobs for engineers. And then. I loved chemistry, and so that funneled me into chemical engineering. Um, and Georgia Tech was in state, so it was kind of a no-brainer for me at that time. I'm so glad to see another Kemi <laughs> on the podcast, <laughs> um, Jen. So you're working at Ball Aerospace. Can you give us more insight on what you do and what your day-to-day responsibilities look like? <laughs> you know, the the funny thing is, if you ask that to most engineers, we're all going to come back with a, there is really no such thing as day to day. And that's part of what I love about STEM and, and engineering in general is that I don't know what the day is going to look like, but to, you know, to avoid completely avoiding your question, <laughs> I work on support equipment for testing space vehicles all the cabling, all of the equipment. And so that sometimes means that I'm doing coding that will be used to control this, well, not the spacecraft, but controlling everything that will control the spacecraft. Sometimes that's designing new cables. Sometimes that's working on racks. It can look like all different kinds of things, working with suppliers. So I I love it. That's awesome. I think it's really cool to like see the different, all the different things that you can do. Like it's not, it's very much a not one role kind of career. And so I think that's really awesome when, when you can say, I I don't really know what it looks like, but it may be this, or it may be this, or it may be this. Yeah, absolutely. And Anita, you worked in a STEM career for quite some time, but ultimately decided to step away from that path. How did you make that decision? And how have you been able to use your STEM knowledge outside of the workforce? It wasn't an easy decision. Of course. Because it, as y'all know, it, it is so much work to get to that point, um, to get to gather the knowledge and the experience that it takes to get to that point. You have to realize this was 25 years ago. 
and workplace culture, I think, was, was very different then. I think the company I worked for was conservative, so that added a layer. And I, I tried. Like after my first child, I worked, um, I petitioned to do a job share, and then I did a telecommute. And ultimately, I was, I was part-time. I was half-time. And um, it actually worked well. The problem was, I think my immediate supervisors were very, you know, they wanted to make it work. They were really invested in keeping me there. Uh, but the people they reported to just weren't sure what to do with a half person. And, you know, in their defense, the technology really didn't exist. The infrastructure didn't really exist. Like, you know, this past year during COVID, everyone pivoted or so many engineers pivoted to, um, to Zoom meetings and video calls. And, uh, you know, they had, there was email and there just wasn't a system in place to make it, make it work. But when it came right down to it, they weren't sure how to use me. And one by one, the, the uh, mission critical projects sort of slid off my plate. By the time Jenny was born, it, it became pretty clear that it wasn't, it wasn't working. I didn't feel like my talents were being used effectively. And ultimately, you know, it was, it was the right decision, time and place specific. I, I will say that I'm encouraged by what I saw you know, if there's a silver lining to the whole, the whole 2020 COVID thing, it's that it normalized working from home and it normalized, you know, and, and buffered that infrastructure. So hopefully y'all will not have to make that either or choice. Right. Right. It, it, you'll be able to integrate the two in ways that I, I, I simply wasn't. Yeah. Well, and if I can just interject a little bit, I feel like yeah. that whole response, you were almost apologizing. And I, I think it's important to say that, you know, you weren't choosing something inferior by choosing to stay at home. You weren't right. You weren't doing anything wrong by choosing to stay at home. And you still made one hell of an engineer, <laughs> hell of a role model. And so, you know, I, I, saw your ambition in everything that you did in your volunteering, in your writing. Wow. And so, you know, while that infrastructure isn't, while that infrastructure wasn't there, while the circumstances weren't right, that's not anything that you need to be an apologetic tone about. And I, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I really, wow. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I, I think honestly, it, I, I'm a born perfectionist. And when I had to choose between what do I want, you know, I didn't feel like I was doing the greatest job at anything. I felt like I was juggling and stuff was falling through the cracks. And, you know, the most important thing on my plate was my children. And so, you know, I, I would never want to imply that I regret that decision in any way. I guess there's all, there will always be a part of me that wishes I could have found a way to integrate it. And there's huge hope that the technology that exists now, young women, young engineers, particularly won't be put in that, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I absolutely love that you mentioned too, like, you know, as a perfectionist, you felt like you weren't, you know, you, you could have done it or like somehow made it work. And I feel as a perfectionist myself, like I could completely relate to what you were saying. And I feel like it's so easy to downgrade the amount of work and like effort that we put into the things we do. 
And like my question for both of you is like when you are in that mindset and as a perfectionist, you know, you, you nitpick a lot of the things you do. How do you stay in that positive mindset? And I guess, how do you not be so harsh on yourself? Honestly, my my biggest life hack there is straight out of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I love that book. And they're put first things first. They have page after page after page about how do you actually do that? How do you take the things that you find the most important and just keep chipping away at them? And their main strategy is listing out the roles in your life and then listing out a couple things each week to do with each one of those roles. So for example, this week, I need to cook dinner for my roommates and I need to get my bike repaired and buy groceries and work out and go to work and <laughs> all, all of these things. And just, I pick the things that I find the highest priority for the week. And I figure if I get most of those done, you know, I'm chipping away at it. I don't have to be there right now. I don't have to be there three months from now. But if I am consistently dedicating time to the things that matter most and chipping away at it, you know, I'm going to be a better person tomorrow and so on. My answer to your question is, you know, age and time tempers that a bit. And having children definitely tempers that a bit because you can plan all day long. <laughs> but my my husband, who is also an engineer, you know, we had and, and our circle of friends were engineers. We talked about children as being, you know, human agents of entropy. And <laughs> That's so funny. That's so true. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned the experience shaping that because I've I've so experienced that too. I had this uh, epiphany moment in college where, you know, I've come a long way in terms of my perfectionism over just the last few years. And really my wake up moment was when we had this robotics competition class, just one of the coolest classes at Georgia Tech. And you're building this robot. And the first phase is an individual challenge. And I had to move this giant rubber dog bone thing weighed, I swear, 15 pounds. And you were only allowed to use mouse traps and gravity. And I spent my entire fall break trying to move this stupid dog bone and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I spent my entire fall break working at it and I got back and I failed. And the people who spent 10 minutes working on it and then went and enjoyed their fall break also failed. And it was 1% of the grade and it really didn't matter. And I missed out on a week long adventure because I couldn't weigh the one percent, the one percent, I couldn't let it go. And after experiencing that, of you know, just because I'm trying and just because I'm doing my best, doesn't mean that I'm putting my time and energy into the thing that matters most. <laughs> Realizing that helped a lot. That you can try and you can work and you can struggle, but that in and of itself is not valuable. You have to be sure that you're working on the right thing first. Definitely. I mean, that comes down to prioritizing your time as well. What What is something that I sh truly want to focus on and what should I be focusing on? And I think that in college or in anybody's professional or educational um, careers, they that's something that they have to learn at some point because everyone, whether they're in a STEM career or not, that's something that they have to deal with in some point in time. So certainly I think it, it's all about your mindset. So kind of going off on that, uh, that project you're telling me about, 
Jen, you talked about falling in love with physics in high school and that it influenced your decisions for post-high school education. Can you give us a little more information on how that impacted you and how you made your decision to study mechanical engineering? Sure. So growing up with two engineering parents, I found out about engineering and what an engineer does versus what a scientist does very, very early on. And I thought that that was awesome. That if I couldn't be a CSI tech because blood is going to freak me out, then gosh darn, I'm going to be an engineer. And so starting when I was 12, I was pretty sure that was something I was interested in. And it was just trying to figure out what, what is that going to look like? And so I loved physics so much and I loved building random stuff as a part of this club, like hovercraft and sine wave pendulum that I just figured, you know, mechanical engineering seems like it would use a lot of physics and maybe I could get to build stuff. And when I got to college, I swear that's the exact same thing that every person says. I like physics and I like building things. <laughs> and most of us have no idea what we want to do with it from there. But the the fun thing about mechanical is just how broad it is that you get these very basic building blocks and then you can do any number of careers with it. Definitely. I have I have a similar story. I was in a, a STEM class at my high school and that's it. It I didn't have engineering parents. My dad's a construction worker. So I had a little bit of like, OK, build with your hands, like woodworking, stuff like that. And then my mom's an occupational therapist. So like a complete other end of the spectrum. And so I didn't have that exposure at all. And so the, I had a the STEM class in high school and that's what exposed me to it. And I same thing was like, oh, I get to build, we built hydrogen fuel cell cars, but it was like, oh my gosh, we get to, I get to use my hands and put this stuff together. And I see, I get to see this car run at the end of the year. And I, I'm mechanical engineering um, major as well. So it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I just, I'm just went through was that like discovery of, oh my gosh, like this epiphany of that's what I want to do. I don't know exactly where I'm taking it, but I like to build things and I like to problem solve. And so that's exactly what it, what it's like. What's interesting, and you're probably reaching this phase, is the the existential crisis of the mechanical engineer, where <laughs> we all we all picked it because we like building stuff, mm-hmm. and then around sophomore junior year, you realize, oh, not all mechanical engineering jobs build things. Yep, a lot of times that's amazing technicians, and the engineers are doing something else, mm-hmm. and so figuring out okay, the thing that made me passionate about this might not actually be what I do with it every day. Huh. Yeah. And kind of thinking through that was a huge journey for me. And it's part of what made me want to get into test because I really like that hands-on. I I know people who have gone more into coding, have gone more into design, have gone more into analysis. I like the hardware. I like working with hardware. And so test is one of those fun areas where you're going to get to see the spacecraft. You're going to get to see the mechanism. It's not all going to be on a computer screen. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just finding that journey between what you liked about it to begin with and what you're going to like about it for the rest of your life is kind of scary. Definitely. Well, and you just mentioned mechanical being so broad, like that's, you have that kind of, okay, well, I have so many directions to take this. What do I want to do with it? And your perspective is amazing on that. I think that it's um, really awesome to hear that. Thanks. <laughs> and Anita, you've been able to witness Jen go through her own experiences in a STEM career. What is your perspective on how the industry has changed and adapted since you were in the workforce? 
Oh, wow. Well, she and I, being a chemical engineer, I think my opportunities and the cycle of my career are a bit different. I do think there are honestly some things that are very, that, that are universal from my experience to hers. I think co-op experience is key. I, I, I think anyone in STEM will benefit from practical application and from working in the industry. And um, I think having those opportunities, um, the fact that that is, that is just as powerful an opportunity, maybe even broader opportunity now than it was when I was coming up. I, I think that is, is remarkable. We've had so many discussions over the years, like when I became interested in engineering, you know, in the back of my head was always the stories my mom has told me on, you know, why she chose to leave STEM and people who were great to her and not so great to her. And so with my own journey, I feel like in some ways I'm on high alert waiting for, you know, waiting for things to turn south, waiting for people to treat me horribly. And I found that in my work experience so far, there have been, there have been microaggressions, there have been not so great occurrences, but in general, I feel like the attitude, the attitude around women in the workplace has, has come a long way, at least for, at least in my experience. And it all just comes down to company culture because sad to say, even in, even in 2021, there are many companies that are still not with the program. There are many companies that are living in the 80s, living in the 50s, and it's hard to it's hard to prioritize that, especially in a scary market where it's I just want to get a job. I just want to get a job. Certainly, and yeah. it can be really hard to gauge whether a company is living in this century. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But when you get an idea, it makes all the difference, like to be able to look at bosses and my boss's bosses and see women everywhere at ball is so encouraging and it makes all the difference in the world. Well, I I need I need to piggyback onto yours. Um, I had a few finite, not great sexist, you know, encounters in, in the workplace, particularly as a very, very young, you know, I was 19 when I had my first co-op job and it was more in a manufacturing setting. And, you know, there were, there were a few, I would say, but by and large, I had a remarkable experience with how, with how I was treated, particularly, I I think when you consider the percentage of engineers that, uh, of female engineers then versus now, um, I, I don't think I ever really felt, and maybe this was a bit of my own naivete, but I, I never really felt oppressed or marginalized either at school or co-op or uh, once I graduated and was working full time. I, I do want to say when we were talking about um, the co-op experience, one thing that I, and this was sort of the luck of the draw for me, but the evolution of my co-op, my practical experience while I was still a student at Georgia Tech, I was able to experience manufacturing and um pilot plant research and materials development and product development. And so when it came time to interview, I had had a little glimpse of lots of the possibilities for what a chemical engineer could do. 
And so when I was interviewing for that after graduation job, I was able to speak knowledgeably to these are the things that I am good at. And these are the things that I enjoy. And maybe more importantly, these are the things I didn't particularly enjoy. Like I didn't particularly enjoy quality control because for me, that felt like I was doing the same thing every day. And the only time it got interesting is when things went wrong. I could do it, but to be able to to speak to that not being my first choice of what I wanted to do, I think I think that's really powerful when you get to that point where you're looking for, you know, the the first full time job in your career. And I think we have gotten to a point now. I know STEM Blazers and and this program that we're working with, like that's that's the whole point of this is we're exposing these young girls to all of their options, which I think that before college, before even your first job, that was really hard to get. And that was something that you it took you five years into your professional career to say, okay, I don't like doing this. How do I, how do I set myself up for the best experience in my job that I, that I can. And I think that you guys talking to us right now is improving that. So I think that it's really awesome. Well, and I guess one of, one of the things to keep in mind too, is that throughout all of that exploration, it's okay if the answer is, you know, I don't want a STEM career, right? Like, yeah, I, I think sometimes we're, we're all so excited about getting girls into STEM and so excited about showing everybody how cool science, technology, engineering, math is that sometimes we forget, you know, the most important thing is that everybody knows you can do this. There is some option here. Exactly. You are capable of this. Whether you want to, that's the question you need to be asking yourself, you know, and what, right. what could that look like? And so, you know, my, my hope is just soon, soon, very soon that you have no little girls going, well, I can't do that. Well, I, I, I can't, I can't be an engineer that if you choose not to do that path, it's because, you know what, I could be an awesome engineer, but I'm going to be a better journalist. And that, that self-awareness, that is the most important thing. Certainly. Yes. Yeah. I completely resonate with that. I know my parents too were very adamant on me being an engineer. And I think in Asian culture too, it's very common that, you know, we're going to be doctors or engineers. And so it did take me a while to realize if this was something I wanted and like going through the internships and experiencing it and seeing how everything's made really, really brought that passion back to me and helped me realize that this is what I want to do. So yeah, just to our listeners out there, you can be influenced by your parents, but you know, what really is important is what you want to do. Well, thank you so much uh, for answering those first few questions. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hi, it's Wendy Merchant, founder of STEM Blazers. With the school year now well underway, we are looking forward to our upcoming event, the Mocktail Social. This year marks our sixth annual mocktail, and it's designed to bring high school and college students together with professional women working in STEM fields for an evening of inspiration and networking, and it is always fun. This event will take place on October 29th in the Metro Denver area, and it's open to all students in Colorado. Please make sure to follow us on social media for more details and to register. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Our handle is STEM Blazers. We can't wait to see you this year. Now let's get you back to the conversation. 
All right, to open our second set of questions, this is for both of you. Um, as a mother-daughter duo, I'm sure you both have been able to gain a different perspective of women in STEM fields and STEM careers. Can you talk a bit about what different experiences you both may have had as a woman in your respective fields over the years? I know we touched on this a little bit, but if you have anything more you want to add or any specific stories or anything, please feel free. The most eye-opening thing for me in industry so far has been realizing how big of a difference it makes to have female mentors that in my first in my first cooperation there were two other women in the office one of them was my mentor and I've stayed in contact with her all throughout my career even though I no longer work there and it was awesome having somebody to talk to. It was awesome having somebody to go to with all the little details that you think are stupid and somebody to be vulnerable with. And then coming to a company where there are women everywhere totally changed it because while it's awesome to have a mentor, having an in a diverse environment makes a massive difference because I found that it's awesome to have a conversation with one person and to touch base. But when you have a diverse environment, there's less to touch base about, <laughs> at least relating, at least relating to being a woman in the workplace. I found that when they're just women everywhere, it's something on everybody's mind and you don't get this boys club environment. Well, and, and I will say the importance of having role models and female peers and female mentors, um, I would say it was exponentially more important when I was coming up just because there were so many fewer. You rarely had a situation where you were surrounded by female engineers. At Georgia Tech, there were, I believe, campus-wide, it was less than 20% female. And uh, for me, joining a sorority, the sororities were small. Um, because women were still relatively new to, to campus. But that was very important for me. There were probably eight Kimmies in my pledge class, and we supported each other. We cheered each other on. There are many of them I'm still in touch with. I'm going on vacation with one later this summer. And That's awesome. Yeah. it's um, We became our own, our community. We we buffered each other and lifted each other up. And then I was very lucky both at co-op and, um, and when I had my full-time job after graduation um, to have female engineers that were maybe two to five years ahead of me. I never had a female manager, but I had senior engineers and senior research scientists that I worked with that they were like future guideposts, mile markers for me, you know, to kind of see, Oh, that's, that's what that looks like, or that's, you know, and a few of them, it's not how I want to do that, you know? And, um, but I think as a whole, being able to create that community, that female empowerment in the center of a very male dominant profession, you know, it's important for young female STEM professionals. Now it was vital back then. I don't, I don't know if I would have been able to sustain if I hadn't had that. Well, and what's, what's interesting is hearing you describe just, this hunger for somebody that gets it. Mm -hmm. And there are still environments where you feel that, where you feel that absence of diversity and, and going from one environment to the other, it's like a huge weight off your shoulders. And it's, it's crazy because the conversations go from being in survival mode, the let me find my people and try to get through this mode 
to just being comfortable and just doing your career, you know, not so much thinking about do I belong as, okay, what's next? Where am I going to go next? And I can only hope that companies get it and realize that, you know, it's not, it's not just women who need to experience that level of diversity to find comfort and peace and passion. And it's fantastic to find an environment that's like that for me. At the end of the day, I'm still a cis white woman. I still have so many privileges on my side. And I I have to hope that, you know, seeing how much of a weight that's been off of my shoulders, even with all that privilege hanging on there, I have to hope that as time goes on, we'll have, we'll have companies that get that that needs to exist for everybody. Well, everyone needs a community. I don't care who you are. You need a community and like-minded people. You just do. A hundred percent. And I, I agree too. Actually, even now in college, um, you know, my school's like 70% male. And then there, there were times when I was in class where, you know, my male peers would interrupt me or they wouldn't want to hear what I had to say. Um, and it was, it was extremely frustrating. And there were just moments where like, I, I would just lose confidence and in, in my intelligence of like, oh, wait, am I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to participate or like, I don't want to say, because I, I just, I just feel like I'm wrong and I don't, want to get those judgy looks. Um, But, you know, I have my friends and just a community of women who hype me up and they're like, no, you're here for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know what you're doing. Your your intelligence should not be downgraded just because someone may interrupt you or may say something that makes you feel that way. And like everyone has said, you know, having that sense of community and those, those women to lift you up and just that sense of belonging and knowing that you deserve to be where you are is such a powerful and such an important thing. Um, so I really, really appreciate hearing your guys' perspective on it and everything that you've been saying. Yeah. And to kind of funnel into that, um, how do you feel you're blazing the trail for new generation of girls? I know, Jen, when you, I'm specifically asking this question because I love the analogy you used in your um, paper that, in your response that you wrote to us. And so I really want you to share that because I think it's really insightful and, and everyone can kind of get a different perspective from it. Yeah, sure. So the, <laughs> the funny thing is, in so many ways, I really don't feel like I'm the one blazing the trail. And I love that. I love that I'm on this trail that other people have scouted and other people have crafted and other people have blazed. And, you know, as, as I go along, I want to do maintenance and I want to keep the trail clean and leave no trace. Right. But it's okay. If I'm not the one at the front of the pack, it's okay. If my journey is being a part of creating a new normal rather than the one fighting through the bushes and fighting fighting to get to the next to the next peak you know that it is enough to be part of a community and be part of making this just what all the trails should look like <laughs> yeah 
I really like it because I think we talk about all the time, like, oh, you're you're starting this new path for everybody and you're this is a whole brand new thing. And it doesn't have to be so much pressure and it doesn't have to be this like monumental you following that trail and and taking saying thank you to the to people like your mom who who did it first and who are doing it before you to say thank you for doing that. And now I can do my part and I can widen the trail and I can Mm -hmm. take the pick up the trash off the trail and make it a little bit better for the next person that comes along. I loved your analogy so much. It was it, I like it was like, oh, it's so perfect. I love it so much. So I, I'm really glad that you got to share that. Well, I think even, you know, for me in the 80s and 90s, I, I, I didn't have the sense that I was blazing anything. I was doing work that hopefully most of the time challenged me and I found interesting and that ultimately hopefully was making a difference and moving the ball forward with whatever the industry goal was or whatever the, you know, our sector goal was. Um, and I think just doing the good work by definition continues to blaze the trail. You don't always got to be the front runner. You can be the, the person maintaining it and encouraging it as well. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I really am proud of the woman who continue to blaze the trail, who, Oh, this is the end. Uh, I don't think so. And they keep pushing. And I am so proud of that. I guess my, my message more than anything with my engineering journey is just, and my journey with perfectionism is just constantly reminding myself that if I am that person, that is awesome. But if I'm not, that is also awesome and good enough. And I should be proud that I'm here. Because I I find that so often we say, you know, I worked so hard to be here. I have to be the best. I have to get A's. I have to go. I have to succeed. I have to do all these things, right? And, you know, success is how you define it, right? And so if you say that you have to be the one at the very top and you're only going to be satisfied with that, then, you know, you're, you're, consigning yourself to a whole lot of unhappiness until you get there. (laughs) Right, right. What are you setting yourself up for? Yeah. And our last question for this section is, what advice for young adults who are looking for a job or an internship that could potentially turn into their full-time job uh, can you give to our listeners? I, I would say it's so much more about who you are than anything else. That, you know, I kind of touched on this, but my my main advice to any young person is is to keep in mind that when you're an adult you have to define success for yourself there are no grades anymore there are no report cards there are no more trophies so figuring out you know what do you want to do where do you want to go that means you have to figure out what success looks like and for some people it's going to be being a stay-at-home mom. It might be being an astronaut. It might be being a CEO. It might mean having a really chill job so that you can do hobbies and volunteer. It might mean having an influencer style job and living out of a van. And all of those are perfectly valid lifestyles. All of those are fantastic ways to spend your life if that's who you are. And so that's the second part of, you know, in before you can define success, you have to define who are you to begin with? What do you want? What are you good at? And the second you think you have it figured out, start over. (laughs) And so 
to any young person, before you start thinking about the job, before you're thinking about internships or any of that, take a second and reflect on who are you and what do you want? Because if you get an internship and it's in the wrong thing, you know, that can be great experience in terms of figuring out what you want to do, right? But you don't need to dedicate all this time and energy before you even know if you're on the right track. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on to our rapid fire question round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions (laughs) and you'll answer them as fast as you can. Are you ready? No, but I'll try. (laughs) Alrighty. Uh, Jen, what is something you've always wanted to try together with your mom? It could be anything. I would love for us to sing in a choir together. That's so fun. Anita, what is your favorite thing to do as a mother-daughter? Cook together and sing together and go to live theater together. I love that. Um, Jen, what is one quality that you admire about your mom? She's insanely detail-oriented. Just insanely. And I'm detail-oriented. This woman is on another <laughs> level. The world is not ready for her binders and, and systems. We're, we're, not, we're not good enough. <laughs> Anita, who is your female STEM icon? This is going to sound strange. I, I read an article recently about Florence Nightingale, who honestly, I, I had never, I never knew this until I read this, this article. She was able to use statistics to persuade people to take action toward public health. And for a woman of her era, I, I just think that's remarkable. I know it's random. And- no, I love that. But- She's amazing. <laughs> Jen, do you have one? Uh, duh, she's on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about me, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Anita, what is um, Anita? What is your best life hack? Oh, um, it's food prepping vegetables. Uh, lots and lots of vegetables, uh, roasting them, sauteing them, and then putting them in the freezer so that when I want vegetables, I can snap off a chunk and microwave them. And it's the, it's my, it's my favorite thing to do. My freezer, Jenny can tell you, my freezer is never without, never without these things. (laughs) With labels. Did I mention the detail (laughs) oriented? I love that. I aspire to be you. (laughs) (laughs) Anita, what is your favorite way to de-stress? Would have to be either hiking or singing. Awesome. Jen, what is your favorite childhood memory? Oh gosh, so many. I really liked our trip out to the West. We did this hike in Zion Canyon and, and were the Narrows. And it was a hike where I could just sit and let the river take me. And that was, that was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds awesome. Anita, what is the best compliment you've ever received? Do you know, just a couple of weeks ago, um, one of my, I met uh, a new friend's daughter and she told me, she said, you're just so real. And I'm choosing to take that as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's an amazing compliment. (laughs) 100%. Alrighty. The question is, what is your favorite song? I really like 
anything that Ben Platt sings, but is but especially Bad Habit and Temporary Love. I think um, for mine, it would have to be the Indigo Girls closer to fine. Awesome. Well, to our listeners out there, if you'd like to hear our mentors' favorite songs, we do have a mentor playlist. Feel free to check it out on our Spotify. And lastly, this is a question we ask all of our guests. Standing where you are now, what advice would you give your high school self? We can start with Anita. I would tell her to take her fitness more seriously and to take life in general less seriously. I think that's amazing. And I would I would tell high school Jenny to take a couple deep breaths, to get outside, <laughs> and to learn as soon as possible that grades are not the best metric. Absolutely. Alrighty, and then our trivia question of the day, or of the episode, I should say, is who is the first woman to win two Nobel Honors, once in physics and once in chemistry? Find out the answer on our Instagram at STEMBLazers. Thank you so much, Anita and Jen, for joining us on this episode. It was a privilege to talk to you. And on behalf of STEMBLazers, we want to thank you for your story and passions. Oh, thank you, ladies, for your work. This, is, this has been wonderful. This has been great. <laughs> Thank you to our listeners for joining us for another STEM Blazers episode. If you want more information or to stay up to date with what we're working on, check out our website at stemblazers.com or our Facebook and Instagram pages at STEM Blazers. We'll catch you on the next episode.